Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 142 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, holy fucking shit, I am so insanely excited to bring you this episode. I am talking to the one, the only, Becca Syme. Today, we are going to be covering the intuitive writer. She has a new book out. I believe it was my book recommendation of the week a couple of weeks ago um, called The Intuitive Writer. You absolutely must go and read it. It was fantastic. It was validating, affirming, uh, as will this episode be, I think. Also, hey, I'm back. (laughs) So, uh, of course, as I record this on Thursday, June the 9th, the last episode went out yesterday, uh, where I, but I recorded that before I went on my holly bobs. I am now back, of course, because I'm doing a proper intro. And oh my God, do I have some updates for you guys. Uh, But first to last week's question, which was, what do you want to learn more about? Downward said, right now, my big question is, what is my brand coupled with, uh, coupled with, and how can I use that knowledge to better reach the people who will be most interested in reading the kind of stories I write? Always think branding is actually like an iterative process. It's one of these things that you can only start with an idea of what you think it is. And then through the process of refining, um, growing yourself, um, and understanding what your readers and audience like, uh, listening to feedback and, and I suppose reviews and picking out commonalities and things. That is, I guess, how brand comes around. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always fascinated by branding. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a question or a topic I personally don't necessarily cover, but, um, um, on a, personal learning note absolutely fascinated with so yeah okay this week's question is are you an intuitive writer I mean how could that not be the question of the week (laughs) I think uh, I think it would have been rude not to have that as the question of the week Uh, the book recommendation this week is happy sexy millionaire by Stephen Bartlett so Stephen runs the podcast uh, Diary of a CEO and I've been listening to it for a few months now and I really like it. Um, I can only guess that he probably has um, high individualization. The reason I say that is because um, Dan Wilcox, who uh, I used to co-host the Next Level Author podcast with, was number one individualization and he had this amazing way of asking questions. He always knew the right question to ask he would ask such deep and profound questions and Stephen really reminds me like his style of questioning is very like Dan's so yeah I mean I'm just guessing but I I love his questioning I love how deep and gritty he gets I love his fascination with people and that very much has translated to his book now I am not re- well I'm not reading it with my eyes I'm reading it with my ears um, so I'm listening to the audiobook because I listened to his podcast and so I just wanted more of his voice and it's fantastic it's got his same uh kind of no bullshit tell it how it is uh tone I don't necessarily agree with everything that he's saying um 
But nonetheless, I think he's got some really wonderful points in there and I really am thoroughly enjoying it. So yes, I highly recommend Happy Sexy Millionaire by Stephen Bartlett. Okay, on to personal update. And I'm like having to pause every so often to like remind myself how to do a fucking podcast because it's I've had a week off and clearly, you know, one week off is enough for my brain to like shit the bed and not remember how to do anything. Uh, but I'm back. <laughs> I'm so happy and excited to be back. Like, fuck me. I really going away from work. Okay, so, oh, so many things. I just want to tell you guys so many things. First of all, I don't understand why I had to learn this lesson, but um, you guys, apparently actually disconnecting for a week. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? It's like really good for you. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sure everybody is like eye rolling or like belly cackling at me right now for like just the ridiculousness of me. Um, but listen, seriously, like I gain so much energy from working. I love my job. I love what I do. Like I want to do what I do because I love my job and I love, I just love everything that I do and it makes me happy. So like, it becomes really hard not to want to do my job, uh, which is good in one way because I get loads of stuff done. I enjoy what I do. I'm always happy. Uh, but on the downside I run my body into the ground and there is only one way to like make your physical like muscles and body uh, recover and that is uh, through good nutrition and rest so uh, who like it's surprising no one that going away and not working and having an actual rest uh, made me feel better <laughs> oh my god I just feel so ridiculous talking right now um but yeah, I had a week off and fuck me, am I full of life and beans right now. I, I think it is also, right, on a serious note, I also think it's the difference. I have always enjoyed seeing difference, like experiencing difference, different cultures, different, I don't know, just different information, different people, different everything. I get a lot of energy and inspiration and it fills my creative well when I get to see different things. So getting to be in Washington DC and seeing all the famous buildings and how different the architecture is to the UK, getting to be in New York where again it's completely different architecture and all of the architecture in New York is so different to each other. You'll see like a really massive sky rise um, skyscraper right next to like a building that is 150 years old uh, and it's just crazy like I loved every single second of it I love meeting uh, writer friends so I got to meet three different writer friends um, I loved being with the people that we went to be with I loved being in the sun uh, we walked I don't know I think I walked over 110,000 steps uh, in the six days that we were there so it was like it it weirdly wasn't sort of sit on your bum reading a book in the sun restful, but it was restful and rejuvenating in an entirely different way. Now, the other thing that I have learned, I am not in a 20 year old body anymore because apparently jet lag fucks me up. I, so it is Thursday. We landed on Saturday. However, I didn't sleep. Friday night from Friday morning until Saturday night. I didn't sleep. So I was awake for like almost 48 hours. So that combined with the fact that my body still, well, is getting better, but kind of still thinks it's on American time has really shafted me this week. I have been surprised <laughs> once again that I am not 20 anymore. And apparently I can't just, I don't know, fuck myself up and 
get back up and off I go. My competition hates this, by the way, because it just expects to be able to like go at a thousand miles per hour all of the time. Uh, so yeah, I have I have been tired, shall we say, this week, but I'm almost recovered. I think last night was about half past 12 I went to sleep, so I'm definitely getting better. Uh, that is closer to my normal bedtime uh, as a night owl, uh, although not if I, if my, when my kid is older, I'm sure I will go to bed later than that. But anyway, anyway, moving swiftly onwards. I'm sure that you can hear I am full of beans. I really was absolutely fucking gagging to get back to work. Uh, by the time we actually landed in the UK, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Come on, people. We got shit to do. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, I want to like cheerlead for fucking everyone. I'm like ready to motivate people. I'm ready to like scream from the rooftops about how awesome writing is. So yeah, I just feel amazing. <laughs> so maybe like if I get really tired at any point, everybody could just remind me to take a fucking day off. Um, but yeah, so I am, where where am I? What am I doing? Get to the fucking point, Sasha. Right, so I have come back. I am going to smash out the edits of The Anatomy of a Best seller. Uh, hopefully I will have that done by this weekend. I'm still a little bit nervous. Like I feel like there's a bit of defining and definition needed uh, to be put into the book still to make sure that um, expectations are managed in terms of what I'm actually doing in the book. Um, but yeah, so I've got that. And then next week I should, I think, start writing uh, or, or finishing the first draft of The Scent of Death, I think. I've got some other exciting things going on in the background that I can't really talk about. And um, yeah, I think that's the majority of it. The other thing is that I am trying to um, plan and get sorted a lot of the stuff that is needed in early September, um, this side of the school summer holidays. So my kiddo breaks up on the 19th of July and I am, even though I will... <laughs> do my best to work over the school holidays we are we are likely to be out of the country for at least three or four weeks in the summer which is going to fuck my working time uh so I'm trying to make sure that I am done and prepped and that I can like I don't, I don't know that my business doesn't collapse <laughs> because Sasha doesn't know how to take any fucking time off let alone a month uh so yeah I'm trying to get all of that prep up as well all right I've been bollocksing on for far too long and this is one of the most exciting episodes come on guys we've got Becca Stein coming on the show so I need to hurry up and uh stop uh, bollocksing on. Right, okay, so Rebel of the Week this week is Jackson Hollingsworth. Jackson says, I used to be an actor before I realised I enjoy writing much more. This one summer before I was out as a transgender man, I had one of those odd acting jobs where I was hired to walk around a museum pretending to be the pirate Anne Bonny as they had a pirate exhibit and wanted actors around to make it feel more real. I was given a fake sword, but since it was pretty heavy for being plastic and they didn't want to be liable for any accidental damage, the sword was tied to the sheath so it couldn't be pulled out uh, by myself or anyone who might try to grab it from me. One day, a little boy, perhaps six years old, came up to me. He wanted me to pull out my sword so he could see it. I had every excuse ready, including that the museum said I wasn't allowed to take it out and that I would be in trouble. He looked at me as if I were the stupidest and worst pirate ever and said, as if it was obvious, can't you just be sneaky? 
God, I love that kid. I'm completely in love with that kid. He had a fair point. I still couldn't pull the sword out, though. Needless to say, that was one museum patron I did not impress, but I will definitely always remember that little rebel. Oh my days, Jackson, that is amazing. I absolutely loved that story. What a little legend that boy was. How adorable. I, uh, I, oh, <laughs> I'm just tickled pink. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It can be something your sister or brother or sibling did. It can be something your parent did, something somebody you know did. It can be a pet rebellion. I don't care as long as it's a little rebellion. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. We have a monster Patreon update this week. Welcome and a huge thank you to Meg Delena, Claire Donnelly, Annie Lawrence, and welcome back to Herman Sturenagel. I am so, so deeply grateful to all of you for joining, rejoining, for staying with me. It makes the world of difference, not least because it makes me feel like what I do is worthwhile and having an impact. And that means everything to me. So thank you guys so, so much. We are actually rocking up towards 100 patrons. So I'm thinking there needs to be a huge, gigantic celebration. I'm not quite sure what we will do. Um, But once we get there, yeah, I I think if you are a patron, please do let me know. (laughs) Drop me a DM or something and let let me know. I'll put a post up uh, for you guys and we can plan some kind of big uh, celebration as a thank you from me to you uh, for all the support that you give me. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a ton of bonus content like uh, quarterly challenges, like Poison and Prose uh, writing and Q&A sessions, like we are watching, having a first kill watch party, uh, the Rebel Readers Masterclasses, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And oh, oh my God, as if I forgot the Rebel uh, author Slack group community, which is a thriving uh, chat supportive. There's critique groups in there, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, do come on over and join the group. Okay, well, I think that's enough from me this week. Uh, But (laughs) it is time for a little bit of Becca. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am literally peeing my pants excited because we have my favorite human back on the show, Becca Syme. Becca is a Gallup certified strengths coach specializing in author success alignment with 16 years of experience coaching strengths and a few hours coaching me personally. Um, (laughs) And for everyone listening, you better pull up a drink because for every every time I know you say it depends everyone drinks, every time I mention fucking strengths on the show... (laughs) All my, all my patrons and listeners drink, so you better pour a big cup of coffee. Um, okay, so you were last on the show in episode 17, um, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes for everyone who would like to see the episode, but that was two years ago. Like, really? Yeah, it was two oh years. God. I know. Um, and this was like a wild journey for me because uh, I read the quick book, which somebody else had recommended. I don't even remember who told me to read it. I think a few people had told me to read it. And I got real mad and I messaged you and I was like, please come on so we can talk about this. And 
then I just, I loved it. I loved you. I loved the strengths. I loved everything. And now I'm like a fully, fully embracing Beccanation in every single way possible. So um, I re-listened to the episode this morning, which was hilarious because I knew fuck nothing. Um, And uh, yeah, so I wanted to ask you, like in those two years, what what have you been doing? What have you been working on? Like, what is your update? Because normally I ask what, you know, people's journey, but where have you been in the last two years? So obviously that two years was the pandemic two years, right? (laughs) So like, a huge portion of what we've been doing in the last two years is coaching writers through the experience of like something we've never experienced before. Right. So like, uh, burn some burnout, um, a lot of success, which is great. Like there've been a lot of huge successes that have happened. Um, and, and then of course the intuitive book, um, is a huge part of what we've been working on for the last probably two and a half years, it kind of had a seed in some questions that came out of the dear writer, you're doing it wrong book. And, um, and I was like, well, we're going to have to write a book on this. And so Susan and I had been talking and just taking notes and uh, looking for the patterns and trying to figure stuff out. And then we finally got to a point where we could release it just like a week ago. Uh, So it's been a long labor on that one. It's amazing. I devoured it. I think in two in two goes. Like it's so easily readable and like affirming, and also like makes me mad every time, but in a good way. In a good way. Um. So like it's just so you feel seen. I think a lot of writers are going to feel seen in the book. So I wondered if we could dive into the content and yeah. before we get into kind of the more difficult questions, can you just give everyone your definition of intuition? Like what does it mean in terms of writers? I think you give five, four, five different types of mm-hmm. intuition. So yeah. Can you just talk about intuition, what it is, the different types and how you see it? Yeah. So specifically with writers, we find that intuition has this, like, I know the decision I need to make, or I know the thing I need to do. And I can't explain why I need to do it. And it's just, is this gut level feeling that needs to happen. And it's interesting because the biggest question we initially got when we started talking about intuition was are all intuitive writers pantsers? And I was like, no, because of course in the Myers-Briggs, they set up intuitive and concrete as opposite from each other in terms of personality traits. And I was like, oh no, you can be a completely concrete thinker in terms of like be non-abstract, non-big picture and still be intuitive because it's about are there things that you're reading internally pattern reading that you're seeing so quickly you can't explain, but you know, you have to make that decision. And so um, that's kind of the big picture definition of what intuition is. The crazy thing is I didn't even connect N in intuition in Myers-Briggs to right. like literally until you just said it. Cause I'm an N I'm like yeah. really extreme N N as well. Like I, they're on a continuum and I'm like way off the chart on the continuum. And I didn't even like, I, can, I don't know how That's I so did funny. not, but well, they just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just did not connect it. Um, in the book, you have four or five different types. Can you five, just give yeah. a brief um, kind of summary of what they are? Yeah. So there's social intuition, which is the ability to kind of read emotions and um, body language and behavior. And then there is um, intellectual intuition, which is kind of the ability to read patterns and thought 
Um, and specifically, I think intellectual intuition is about, is very conceptual, right? So that's kind of where that abstract thinking of the end Myers-Briggs comes from. And then there's spatial intuition, which is like an ability to see, uh, see negative space almost in uh, around you and to be able to know like what could fill that negative space or uh, or how to organize people together physically or organizing physical things. We talked about a, a, a an architect and a contractor who had each um, designed different spaces and one thought that it should fit because it measured a certain way. And the other one saw the space and was like, this will not fit here. Uh, and he just had this capacity to see what space was taken up by the tree roots and what space was taken up by the leaves and stuff that the other architect couldn't see. Um, and then there is um, spiritual intuition, which I call motivational intuition, like the ability to see what matters or what, what do people desire um, and to be able to anticipate and read patterns based on um, how people present or kind of how they appear, uh, which is different from the social intuition because it's social intuition is very much about um, emotions, right? It's very emotional. Uh, spiritual intuition is much more drive oriented, like motivational. Um, and then let's see, I did spiritual, social, oh, and uh, contextual or social intuition, which is the ability to watch patterns in society or very large data pattern uh, uh, contextual data. And so the reason we break them apart specifically is because when people talk about intuition, because we often can't name the thing that, it, that we're trusting, um, we don't trust it. Cause we're like, well, it's just a gut feeling. It's just an emotion. And what Becca says is, oh no, there's a place that comes from your ability to pattern read in one of these five areas is what's making you able to make that distinction because you can see huge amounts of detail and read patterns very quickly. And then you don't know that you've read all that detail. Like you're just blind to it until you've given yourself time to process all of it. So we felt like breaking them apart would help people recognize that uh, there are more types of intuition than just that, like that typical emotional intuition that I think a lot of us think of. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved that breakdown because it, there are like, and some of the examples, basically everybody needs to go read the book because it's packed full of examples. Um, yeah. And I like, I love the racing car one that really um, yeah. spoke to me in terms of, you know, racing car drivers understand a lot about sp spatial and whether or space. not their cars can fit in space as well. Yeah. Which, you know, at high speeds is super dangerous. Um, like how, you know, is it as simple as just saying, oh, I've made a snap decision before? Like, how do you know if you're intuitive? It would be a pattern over your lifetime, right? Like people can make snap decisions based on learning that's slightly different. Like if I, like, let's say just for an example, um, I have learned how to do math. And so I often have an intuition about like, okay, those numbers are not going to equal more than 40 if we add them up together. So I can make a snap decision based on the fact that I see five numbers that are all under five, 
right? Like those types of things are not necessarily intuitive because they come from patterns we've actually learned before, which is why I made the distinction with the spatial intuition and the contractor, right? Because both of them had the same amount of experience in building buildings, but one of them could just feel the difference in the space and the other one couldn't, even though he'd actually built more buildings than this, than the guy was coaching. Um, because the intuition itself is about the ability to read patterns almost without recognizing that you do it. So you'll see that you've done this thousands of times in your lifetime, as opposed to the sort of like, like I said, like quick learning decisions, because you've learned a particular skill that you can now do fast. That's very different. So I'm guessing though, intuition can turn into learning, which then turns into mm-hmm. learned behavior, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So where are the, are the most common places that writers fail to trust their intuition? So we see a couple of really big ones. One is in their decision-making process about like marketing, right? Um, and, and that has a whole like almost emotional set to it where because everyone is so concerned about selling because everything is saturated, a lot of people are making decisions about their marketing based only on what other people tell them they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have a natural innate intuition about like, I don't think I'm going to be particularly good at Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, social media, ad running, right? Like, I don't think I'm going to be good at those things. And as much as I learn about them, my intuition continues to tell me like, I don't think you're going to be good at this. And it has to do with how, what I know about myself and what capacities I know that I have, but we ignore it because everyone is telling us, but you should do this. You should do this. And so that's one of the biggest places is just people not trusting their intuition about what's good for them and what isn't in their marketing. Um, and, and instead trusting other people who are very certain about what you should be doing. Uh, and the other place is in the actual writing process where uh, we see a lot of discovery draft writers who do not write by outline, who keep feeling really pressured into writing by outline because specifically there's a lot of rhetoric around outlining out there that says, like, if you want to write faster, you have to outline, or if you want to write books correctly, you have to follow an outline. Um, and then the intuitive writers who write by discovery, uh, which not all do, but the ones who do, don't trust themselves to write it by discovery draft or by quote unquote pantsing because they feel like they should be doing it intentionally the first time through because that's what someone told them they quote unquote should do. So those are the two most common. That section in the book was the one that I not struggled with the most, but I was like, oh yeah, because... (laughs) Because I have had this constant battle with knowing whether or not to just fucking give up outlining because I like having, you know, because I am a mom, I forget a lot of stuff. So sometimes I need to just write things on a post-it so I don't forget them. But I I liken my process to like doing a puzzle, right? So when I do a puzzle, I will often do the frame first and then work my way in. And quite often that's how I write. Like I have to know, and you talk a little bit about this in the, in the book, but I have to know the ending because that's like, that is my frame. 
And then the rest of it, I like do a bit here, I do a bit here, I do a bit there. And then all of a sudden at some point, like I figure out how it connects. But like, but I I will have written, I will have likely written down a lot of those bits here, there and everywhere onto a post-it in about three or four words. And I'm like, oh, I should really like expand the post-it. And then I'm, and then, then it just stays over there and I ignore it anyway. So like, Like really, I, like that—that that was the chapter that I was like, "Oh, damn it, Becca! I probably should just try, just try and trust myself to do it without the outline." Because I hold it in my head for so long, right? Like yeah. I've gone over and over and over and over the plot so long that like it's all in there anyway. Um, but yeah, I love that. And for anyone who is listening and is unsure whether they should plot or pants or whatever, like I beg you to read the book because yeah. it was so affirming. Um, yeah, so I, I love that. Oh god, I have so many questions. Um, so we <laughs> like I just want to ask all of the questions. Um, so we we talked a little bit about um like trusting ourselves, and so Scott says, how can you learn to stop crushing your intuition and trust it more? So the first piece I would do is I would look backwards at your past because all of us who are intuitive have things in our past that we wish we'd listen to. And specifically, like my intuition told me, and I was one of those people who got into indie publishing on the early side, right? So like my intuition was just like, we should try this. And because of my personality, it was like, you're right. We should try this. <laughs> and I have so many friends whose intuition said the same thing, but then they talked back to it. Right. Or they let someone around them talk back to it. And so I'll often process those, those uh, time periods with them and be like, okay, let's look at who were you listening to? What was at stake? Why did you feel like you had to say no? Um, How many people do you know who'd already succeeded? What was the likelihood of success? Just so we can kind of walk through why your intuition got killed um, in that situation. And so often when we see um, us not listening to our intuition, it has to do with what's at stake if we don't listen to it. Mm. So like, if we don't listen to intuition, often all that's at stake is just, we don't trust ourselves and we don't realize how important that is to intuition. So we can often be like, ah, I'll just not listen right now because it's not that big of a deal if I don't, but the more you don't listen, the more you train yourself not to listen. Right. So like talking back to the people who should on you, who tell you not to do something because you can't prove that you should do it. Um, That's the first piece, right? Is like going through the kind of, why did this happen? Who was telling me not to do it? How can I either cut out those people and not listen to them anymore um, or potentially like justify the actions and then learn from them in the future? Um, But that's, Job number one, I think, is looking backward. Um, And then the job two, which I talk about a little bit and is forming in the book, forming an intuitive, friendly environment around you. So one of the things that we teach our coaches to do is to believe people when they tell you that they have an intuition, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if somebody says, I don't think this is my strength, we're like, tell me why you think that, because I want to know if your intuition is right about that, or if it's a common thing that like a lot of people who have an election don't like an election because it makes you write slower. And so we're like, if that's the primary reason, then we'll talk differently. But like, we have to believe people's intuition first 
so that they can feel confident in their intuition. And so if you don't have an intuitive, friendly environment around you, then it's going to be really, really hard to ever trust anything you think. Yeah. And I'm like, really trying not to get totes emotional here but I think that's something that I never actually realized but the coaches just accept everything like it is the most accepting environment I think I have ever experienced and it's probably why it's like crack to me (laughs) because like for somebody who is yellow dominant and uh you know you know that is the less understood people I've always been on the periphery and finding a coach who or or a group of coaches who not only accept and understand, but also like advocate and encourage that is just fucking life-changing. Like it has been a life-changing two years. So like, yeah, what you guys do is just like, just (laughs) it's my bank, take all of my money. (laughs) Well, and the reason is too, like, and I have to say, like, I think a lot of people could, be validating and not have any science behind it. Right. And then that's a different thing. So like just the, for instance of the strengths, so many people come to us and say like, I don't think I really am strategic or I don't think I really am ideation or whatever. Uh, and we're like, well, explain that to us because if they're correct, we want to affirm it. But if it's not right, we want to ask questions and try and challenge it. So our validation is always coming from like, well, but there are people who are making eight figures who are number one in election. So why couldn't you do your process the way you want to do it? Because there are extremely successful people who are wired just like you. So stop trying to be like somebody else. Right. So, and I say that only to say, I think there is a lot of validation uh, language that gets tossed around. It's like, oh, validation is so great. And I'm like, no, validation when you're right is great. Yeah. Validation when you're not right. We want to challenge that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate I, that. It's so funny because like, I definitely, when I came to strengths, I was so gutted that I was number one competition. Like I was furious. I, I, I definitely said to Terry, I'm not number one competition. I don't understand why I came out like this. Like what is wrong with me? Why am I such a bitch? Like <laughs> right, right, right. And now I'm like, Oh, I am so number one competition. Yes. You so are. I am so number one competition. Like, like, oh, it's so funny. And like Terry just cut through all the shit and was like, well, you said this, you said this, you said this. Yes. And I'm like, uh, 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 yeah, I, I said all of those things. I think you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then, then you get to love it, right? Because then you yeah. get to see like how to use it. And that's kind of um, one of the questions, actually. So both Judy and uh, Judy, Judith and Maggie asked um, sort of a variation on this question, um, which was like, if you don't have one of the domains in your top 10, like uh, what should you be doing to fill that hole? Like, is there a way, you know, it's that, it's that kind of common question of, I don't like my strengths. Yeah. How do I, how do I get around that? And I'm like, oh, but your strengths are amazing. But like, I know, let's right? Becca tell us. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the reason we see people not like particularly strategic thinking strengths is that they appear to go against what is a very common wisdom in the indie space, which is that you have to write fast in order to make money. And I'm here to tell you, you do not have to write fast in order to make money. There are so many people out there. In fact, 
if you were to divide up the people who are writing fast and the people who are not writing fast, you would see a very similar percentage of people making money and not making money in both the fast and not fast sides, right? So it is a very big mythology that everybody who writes fast automatically makes more money and everybody who writes slow automatically doesn't. So that's the first piece is that we have to question the premise of some of the advice that's around us that's making us question ourselves because that's often why we don't like what we get, right? Like just to use your competition as an example. If competition is not accepted generally, which those those of us who are dominant um, influencing strengths women know that it is a harder thing to be a female and have influencing strengths because it's not as common to come across women who are dominant and influencing strengths. And so when you are that way, a lot of competition commands, significance, communication, woo women are like, I don't like this about myself because this is what other people don't like about me. And I'm like, right, but what if the other people are wrong and it's actually your superpower? So Mm -hmm. like, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a dominant woo winning others over. And I can't tell you how many times a day I see a meme on social media that says, you don't have to care what other people think about you. You can just not listen to everyone's opinions. I'm like, but that's what I'm the best at. (laughs) Like I'm the best at caring if people like me. And I think that's an asset and I think it's a superpower. So I'm not going to change that about myself. So when I hear people who don't like the strengths they have, I often think, is that your past talking? Or is that actually like true about the strength? Because I can point to people who have every single strength that there is, who are just killing it and making sick amounts of money. So it's not that success is unattainable for the strengths. It's that the way we have experienced life being dominant in that strength makes us feel like that strength is not good. So that's one part, right? Is like how our strengths have been received by other people or how the advice is given. The other part we see a lot is being dominant in thinking strengths and not having executing strengths. So we're like, how am I ever going to get anything done if I don't have executing strengths? And I would say every single strength has an action point somewhere even the thinking strengths, they all have some kind of an action point. You just have to find where the action point is. So with a lot of the thinking strengths there, they have a certainty seeking edge to them. So you need to find certainty in order to take action. So what we want to try to do then is raise the threshold of certainty to a point where like, maybe I don't need to have a hundred percent of the information. Maybe I can have 80% of the information and still make a good decision. And it's almost like you want to practice getting yourself to a point where can I take a chance and like take an action now and see if I feel comfortable with that threshold and then practice that over and over again, but also getting really good uh, at intellecting or inputting or contexting or whatever it is, right? Like getting really good at that thing means that you're becoming more efficient and effective at it. And you're not doing any of the time wasting that we can sometimes see happen. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I love that. I, it has definitely been a journey of falling in love with me 
like that is what I have done that is the gift that you have given me like over the last two years no seriously because there were like lots of things that I didn't like about me and I think you are right a lot of them are barrier language or you know people mistaking big c strengths competition with little c petty competitiveness which I yeah which I don't even really have like because most of the time I don't even want to compete like I only want to compete at certain things right but um yeah like and that that process of learning and understanding like who I am what drives me and how to get the most out of myself has just been enlightening and the most magical thing possible so like yeah I just oh I fucking love strengths um yeah yeah (laughs) total combat here okay so um we've talked a little bit about learning how to stop crushing your intuition but I wondered like sometimes the bad thing happens and intuition is wrong what happens then like how can you heal from that and how can you learn to trust not not learn to trust it again but how can you continue building and growing your intuition when you have been wrong Yeah. I mean, I would say the first piece is acknowledging that intuition can be wrong, but when it is, it's almost always because you're missing some piece of data that you didn't have before that would have made a difference that you could only learn by making the mistake. So if we're talking publishing, right? Like if I'm releasing a book and I am listening to a particular person and I think that that jives with me. I love that. Let's do this strategy. And then I execute it and it doesn't work, but by executing it, I learn, Oh, wait a minute. I hate that genre, but I didn't know that before. Right. So, so often with the intuition, it's that we haven't learned certain things yet that we will never learn if we don't make the mistakes. So you almost have to see the trusting intuition and letting it be wrong as a process of perfecting the intuition and almost the, um, if you were to stay back where you don't take any chances, you're never going to be able to hone the intuition. And we, we want it to make mistakes because that's how you make it better. Um, and I know that that's difficult for some of us, right? Because we have this feeling of like, but it should be right all the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, that would be great in a fantasy world, but like, it can't be right all the time if it has faulty data internally. So again, like, Some of the examples that I use in the book, particularly about writing have to do with not being able to know certain things about the market or not knowing that that particular day was going to be a bad day to release. You couldn't have known that. So if you're ever holding your intuition hostage because it made a decision with information it didn't have that it couldn't have known, you have to literally do the work to remind yourself every time it comes up, every single time it comes up. But I couldn't have known that the only way I learned it was by making the mistake. Now we know, so we won't do it again in the future. And I'm not going to be mad about that anymore because I couldn't possibly have known that thing. But but I'm so good at being mad at myself. (laughs) I know. Right. Well, and so those of us who have certain strengths combos with that as well, like if you have a strategic, which is really used to being right intuitively, And then when it is wrong, it's almost like an anomaly, right? It's that, how could I not have seen that coming? But you always have to answer that question. You can't ask rhetorical questions Mm -hmm. with strategic. You can't say, how could I not have seen that coming? Because if Becca's sitting with you, Becca will be like, 
because you didn't know that that was a bad day to release. Hello. Like you couldn't possibly have known that. So don't ask yourself that question because by asking the rhetorical question and then not answering it, you're continuing to hold yourself hostage in that past pattern. But if you answer the question, then it logically completes the loop. And it's like, oh, right. I couldn't have known. So if there are factors I can take into the future, like just a, for instance, I had no idea as an indie at first that releasing on Tuesday was a bad idea because of course it was like in the book world, everybody releases on Tuesday. It's just a thing. It's constant right in New York because of the list hitting. So once I realized that I had been training myself to release on Tuesdays because of New York standards, I was like, well, fuck that. Like, I'm not a New York published author in that moment, right? Like I, all my contracts were long behind me. And I get to be the decider about when I release. So I'm going to release on Monday or I'm going to release on Friday or Sunday because I get to choose. So I couldn't have known. And I had a big release that bombed on a Tuesday because I was releasing alongside like all of the most famous historical authors that existed right in New York. And so I got lost completely. It was the very first big bomb that I had as an indie. And I was like, okay, what did I learn from that? I learned that New York has to release on Tuesdays and Becca doesn't. So (laughs) I'm now not going to do that anymore. And do I get frustrated with that book release? Yes, because it was the third in my series and it was like the series had done well and then the third book didn't do as well. But what I did was, I couldn't hold myself accountable for having known that until I learned it because I would never have listened to someone else who told me that until I had learned it myself, until I had the data, because that's just how my brain works. So I needed to make the mistake in order to teach my intuition. And now the only time I release on Tuesdays is when I'm either trying to hit the list or I don't care how the book sells because I know that I'll be competing with like all of the New York published authors doing that. So for me, if you didn't know and couldn't have known, then what happened had to happen in order for you to learn the lesson. So then we just want to be glad that we learned the lesson and then move forward and do different. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard though, because I know sounds like failure. And some of us don't like failure. <laughs> I know. That's why I like to think of it as learning instead yeah. of failing, because if yeah. you did actually learn something from the experience and you are going to do it different, yeah, then it's not true. the same as failing. Cause I think when we think of failing and we're very driven, yeah, the thing we don't like about failure is that we did something wrong. But ultimately you didn't do anything wrong in that moment. You could not have known you did everything right. And then you learned the thing that you didn't know yet. And now you'll do it different. Yes. And I do try very hard. I have a little period on on my office door that says either I win or I learn. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I love that. Yes, I, I, I do. I do. I get it. Yeah. But, but let me just caveat that too. Every single time you hear yourself saying, but, but, Mm -hmm. but you have to talk back Mm 
right? Because that's how we don't let ourselves off the hook for the past is Becca says like, well, you couldn't have known about Tuesdays. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But in my head, I'm thinking, but I still should have known. You have to talk back to yourself every time you hear it. You can't agree with that voice. Yeah. And it's so funny because literally, and, and now everyone gets to hear my personal shit, but in my last coaching session, I was literally like, told to stop walking back on like goals that I'd set and then like I walked back so that I failed and like that's like I need to stop that shit so yeah I completely it that this feels like a theme now <laughs> it feels like a theme <laughs> oh, earlier on you mentioned um sources and people and kind of like input now I wondered if we could talk a little bit about that because the like what are the different things that we need to stop listening to in order to be able to trust our intuition? And like, what does that look like when it's people close to you who you don't want to get rid of? You know, like if they're, pe- you know, good friends or like in the, in your inner circles or, and like, it's, it's just that they haven't, yeah. Like, ha- you know, cause are you just, you can't cut everybody off, you know? So like, what does that look like? How do you, you- I no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> yeah. Like how do you balance that? So the first thing I try to do is I try not to ask for advice from anyone that I wouldn't trust their advice or follow their advice. Like, so I don't ask for advice broadly and I'm a number one input. So the best thing I do is ask a whole bunch of people for stuff, but I've learned that there are certain sources that I'm not going to like their I'm not going to like their advice because it's going to be non-intuitive friendly. So I'm just going to stop asking them. And, and I'm also going to stop listening to places where the only advice I ever get is going against my intuition. And I almost have to start paying attention to like, is there a group or a person or a book or a conference or a podcast or whatever that I listen to because everybody listens to it, but it just doesn't ever resonate with me. And the only reason I listen to it is because of FOMO, right? Because I'm afraid of missing out. And if that is the case, and it might be a newsletter, it might be a a Facebook group or whatever. um, But if there's a place that is like that, that you can easily cut out, let's go for that first. Like, let's go for calling of the things that you're just not following their advice and nothing is helping you. Then the second piece is if you go back to the same well for advice that was bad the last time, and you haven't changed anything about how you're listening to the person, stop going back to the well for advice. Like stop giving people chances to send you in the wrong direction, no matter how much you like them. But the other piece, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's about the relational side, right? Like what happens when I have relationships with people that I want to keep but their advice isn't necessarily good for me. And I would say every time you ask that person or they give you unsolicited advice, immediately call someone who's intuitive friendly and talk to them about the advice that you got. So if it's a friend that you have, or if it's a Facebook group or a mastermind group you have, immediately go to those people and say, I was just on the phone with my sister, brother, mom, friend, you know, whatever. And they said this, how do you feel about that? 
And I would literally like try to follow up the toxic advice with the positive advice, just so that you know that you're going to continue to get the affirmation. Because what happens is we too quickly go to question ourselves and our intuition because we can't quote unquote prove what we're thinking. And so we will just be like, yeah, I heard this person say, well, you obviously have to outline because your books aren't selling, or you obviously have to write to market because your books aren't selling. And therefore I'm just going to listen to them and not ask anyone else. Don't do that. Right. Like always follow it up with an intuitive, friendly source. Uh, I think this is so interesting. I have made so many mistakes over the years. Like I have a, I have self-assurance and like, I, I think listening I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like somewhere down the line, because I also have other strengths that like want that data and that information from other people's advice. But then I then for me, I have to like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. This is what the general views are. And now I need to go away and make a decision. And sometimes there's that disconnect for whatever reason. I've obviously stopped trusting my intuition and self-assurance feels very intuitive to me. Like it will just know eventually at some point one way or another and uh yeah and I definitely think that is comes directly from the wrong sources and exactly what you were saying about like being a glutton for punishment and going back to the same fucking sources that always wind you up or like I don't know why we do that like well we look at me saying (laughs) we fucking I I don't know why I do that oh no we all do it (laughs) we all do it but um, I I have a thought about that. And I, some of it is that there's a relational thing at stake, right? Like if, I, cause I used to be like, um, in a, in my nonprofit world, right? Like I was really engaged in a lot of citywide stuff. And there was this one particular person who I felt like they had a lot of clout. And so I was always asking them like, well, what would you do? And they ran a really big nonprofit. And I was always like, well, you know, who do you guys apply to grants for? And what do you do? And regardless of what advice they gave me, I would keep going back to them. And I finally realized that part of the reason was because when I would go back to my board, And I would say, this is the decision we're going to make. And then I would say, and he told me that we should do this. I felt like I had some kind of justification for what I wanted to do. And they would all just listen to me because this was, this guy was a known quantity. Right. Um, And so I had to kind of walk back through the process of why I was listening to that person before I realized like, they're in a totally different situation than we are. They run a different organization. Like we don't have any of the same stuff. So why do I keep taking their advice? It was because I was 24 years old. The board wouldn't listen to me unless I had backed it up with like this, you know, known quantity dude. So I had to understand about myself that I was going to have to either never be able to trust my own intuition, like never be able to make my own choices, or I was going to have to stop going for the input. Right. Like, yeah, it was painful, but it was (laughs) always it's all, all of the growth is painful, Um, but good and worth it. Um, 
And that kind of brings me to a question from uh, another patron, Jeff, who says he would love to hear about what to do when you've allowed your strengths to build bad habits that you need to break. And some of this sounds uh, sounds like some of what the coaches help with. So feel free to talk about that, too. Um, but he, he says, for example, my context is third um, and it keeps me from publishing sometimes because my brain says books don't sell based on past experiences. So his question is, like, what happens just when strengths go bad and how can how can you resolve? that get coaching but yes yes I will say I think some of that coaching will definitely help that I would say also if you know for a fact that like the way your context is building um, a case about whether you should publish or not is based only on your own experience that's the first place I would always go is if, if the only place I'm going is my own past books you definitely can't, that's not a big enough, broad enough place for context to be at its best. Like context is really at its best when it's taking in uh, 360 degrees of the room, right? So what I would do, and I could tell you this from having coached, um, the whole past success is the evidence of future success thing is a mythology. So while it does happen sometimes that when you have past success, you build on it and then you have future success, this industry is so, um, what's the word, uh, uh, when you speculative, it is so speculative. It's more like gambling than it is like business. And so Whoa, in I gambling, like right. Like <laughs> in gambling, you can be wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong. And then right. And when you're right, you're so right that it erases all of the past wrongs. So it's possible with the context that what you're doing is you're taking a business model approach instead of a speculative model approach, which is a much more accurate model. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Like, yeah. My brain just, <laughs> just melted. Yeah. That explains so much about yeah. like people who are willing to jump into potential genres and you know what yeah. I'm talking about. And like, yeah, yeah like that make, especially because it is risky to gamble, but that is, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> Like yeah. I just need a moment over here. Um, right. So <laughs> yes, but I do think like coaching will help with that because sometimes you don't know that that's what you're doing with your strength. So in terms of the question itself, how do you break a bad habit that has come from a strength that absolutely takes intentional work mm -hmm. and probably perspective. So either coaching or like a friend group who are helping, who really know strengths, because there are a lot of writer groups out there right now who have a lot of people who know a lot about strengths. So it doesn't necessarily have to be us at coaching, but I do think that perspective will help. Well, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll say it for you. It really yeah. should be. Everyone go to yes. back up. <laughs> yes. Because the benefit of of my perspective is that I've coached so many people that I can see patterns on a much bigger level than your average kind of just average person in the industry can. So when I say business model versus speculative model, the reason I say that is because I've coached so many people that I can say that there is no predictable path to success. So if it was like a small business where everyone had like 
you know, if you try this product and then you try that product and then you do this and you have a lead magnet and this, then you will make this money. That is not what this industry is like. It literally is like Vegas and gambling. It is putting dice down on a table and rolling them every time you do everything and maybe you succeed and maybe you don't. And then you could get like an advantage by succeeding more and more and more, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's given that you'll always be able to be successful either. So, right. It's, it is speculative. It's a good job. I don't believe in luck. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) that's the most competition thing. I love that. I love that. Oh Oh, my goodness me. Okay. Last question before I ask you the podcast question. Yes. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to think about how to word this. So, um, okay. So one of my patrons says, I'm curious about the balance between um, nature versus nurture uh, for the strengths that we develop um, and how that affects our ability to like live in the balcony versus living in the basement. I don't mm, know if you could speak such to that a good at question. Um, spe- l- let me answer it specifically about the strengths and then I'll answer it about the basements and balconies specifically as well. Um, so by and large, most psychology would say 50, 50 nature, nurture, um, some psychologists fall on the 45, 55 in one direction or another. I tend to be a lot how, like I would tend to say more 60, 40, um, in terms of nature. And that's because, hmm. because specifically, you will see people who are raised in the exact same household, very close to each other with the exact same parents raised with the same rules in the same time period who have completely different strengths that are not even relevant to each other. Like almost to a point where like my family are all extremely low empathy, like very, very low empathy. If we had had a third child in my household, there's a good chance that they would have been a high empathy child. So being raised by two parents with low empathy, with two siblings with low empathy, they would not have come out with low empathy. They would still have come out with high empathy. And we see that happen over and over and over again in families. There is some biology in terms of like, if you have parents and children who are biologically related, you do tend to see similar strengths in their top tens between the two parents and the children but it's not predictable. And we see anomalies all the time that are not really anomalies they are just outliers. Um, but the reason I say 60, 40 is I can spend maybe half an hour with somebody's kid, sometimes an hour with somebody's kid. And I knew about my niece like 10 minutes into her life. I mean, she was a baby and I'm like, Oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. Oh, she's got this. Like, there we go. I mean, she was five months old, I think when I met her for the first time. So she was old. Um, but you can see the seeds of the strengths in the kids at practically birth. And you just see, like, I have kids I've watched grow up for 18 years. And I'm like, I knew when you were a kid that you were going to be high learner. I just knew or high competition or whatever. Right. Um, So I see the biology so much stronger than I think some other people who study personality would say, um, because I see it in kids so young. So that's my biology question. Where I see nurture come in is usually when, if you grow up in a household that is, does not preference empathy or doesn't preference significance, 
you are about 50 50 that you'll either go over empathy because you didn't get any as a kid or you'll go no empathy right so it's just not predictable about nurture but where we do see nurture making a big difference is in the basements and balconies of strengths. So when you are in a basement, it usually means, and this goes back to the previous question about patterns and habits. It usually means that you've developed habits that are working against what the core of that strength really is. And then it's harder to unwire them, which means that it's more important that you spend time doing it. So if you have like a nurtured, negative behavior or difficult behavior as part of one of your top five, those are usually the places where as coaches, we're like, okay, let's start there because it's so nurtured. And so that's, that's going to be like, let's take empathy. For example, if you have two parents who have low empathy and a kid with high empathy, the kid then starts doing low empathy behaviors to compensate. Is that kind of what you're Right. Or like, if that's a, if that's a, um, uh, the basement, right. Like the basement behavior of empathy, um, might be like completely shutting down other people's emotions and not validating people's emotions. Cause that's what you learn to do from your like family of origin, but you might still be able to feel everyone's emotions and have a high sense for what they should do, but you don't have that balcony empathy of like, let me help you process that emotion. Let me validate that for you. And that type of thing that does happen. Um, it's, it's less common because usually you'll be in a friend group. So the other place that's 50, 50 is home versus peers, right? So most people in their peer groups, when they finally get into like school or they have friends, well, their personalities formed about halfway by their peer group and about halfway by their family. And so we're, we're less likely to have all low empathy family and all low empathy friends for a very high empathy person. You'll usually innately seek out people who validate that stuff about you on some level. So my background is in psychology and I find this deeply fascinating that so my yeah. dad and I share four of our top five strengths, which is yeah. insane. Like, and, yeah. and it makes so much sense because everybody has always been like, oh my God, it is like peas in a pod. Like we're in, whenever we're in the same room and so like, and this is why, um, and, and my sister works with him and she's like, like sometimes she'll just come to me and be like, how do I say this to him? And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, honey, wait, let me tell you how you say this. Right. <laughs> but um, the interesting thing for me is that both my me and my wife and I both have very, very low blue strengths. And I am 100 percent sure that my kid has empathy and it is exhausting to me. <laughs> but I am trying yes. so freaking hard because I'm like, I do not want to crush this out of him because it's beautiful. And, you know, but like it is it is hard. But like I still I and, I, and what I don't know is if he is displaying competition because he is genuinely competition he because it. or because he feels it. Right. Because yeah. he will say things to me like, oh, mommy, um, I'm going to be better than you at uh, computers and, and computing and tech, but it's all right. And then I'll be like, oh, and then, it, and then it'll be like, oh, it's all right. Cause I'll teach you how, how to get better. And then I'm like, I just <laughs> was like, ah, I don't, what is this strange dichotomy that we have going on? So yeah, like, I, 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 I don't know, but anyway, I love like spotting it in him and like, that's the one that I think, oh man, like he got the empathy typically just because we don't have it. Like, and I swear that is, 
because we don't have it. Um, but it's so it's it's hard. Like, but you, yeah, thank God for strengths because if it weren't for strengths, I, I like I I worry that I would have pushed it out of him. Um, right, and if he has friends who are like pro empathy, right, basically, right, who some of them have it as well, or I or think they his best mate is high harmony because he oh, is such nice. a peacekeeper. Yeah, yep. like, and That's he perfect. he brings Atlas down. Yeah. because atlas is quite hyperactive so like it's so yeah sorry anyway but yeah, yeah that's who i think his friend is yeah like as long as we get some kind of modeling behavior of like how it should act well i think we're totally fine because what we do see like just as significance is a perfect example we see it a lot in women who have no one in their family who is pro significance, but somehow they manage to make it through their experience. And I always then look at their friend groups and I'm like, oh, that's why. Like you had people around you who were like, you know, helping you to model that positive behavior, or you saw it somewhere in the world, or you have self-assurance, which is also possible, um, where you see some kind of positive modeling, but when you have those negative behaviors, and, and I don't mean negative for other people, I mean, you're paying consequences yourself for having a difficulty with that particular strength, then we do want to go work on those as quickly as possible, because the more, this is what I was talking about, about like, you have to talk back to yourself when you hear your strategic say like, but you should have known, but how could I have known, but you should have known, but how could I have known, right? Like talk back to that because the more you agree with it, the more you cement it. Mm. And so we want to try as much as possible to like fill in basements so that yeah. we can get out of those difficult behaviors. Uh, absolutely and the best way to do that is to go get coaching from back up. <laughs> <laughs> all right I can't believe the hour is over I could literally I talk to you all day um but this is the rebel author podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel oh wow oh there are so many <laughs> I love Ooh. it okay so here's one that's fairly recent. Um, the PWF genre is kind of on the rise, right? And I love it and I read a ton of it, but most of it is um, uh, divorced women, right? And I've never been married. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be able to write that authentically. And there's so many other people who are doing it. I was like, I have to write a single like a single woman in her forties. And I got so much pushback from everybody because it was like, this is not possible. Like, it's not possible to have a 40 year old woman who has, I'm like, uh, but the, uh, hello, <laughs> like, uh, hello. And so, uh, so I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And so I wrote a series called dead by midlife where her whole thing was she was supposed to be dead by the time she turned 40 and she had this like prophecy and a calling. So she just totally left everything behind and was single and like saved the world all the time. And, uh, and then you wake up, the first book starts on her 40th birthday where she's supposed to be dead and isn't dead yet. Oh my God. And I so like, I know. So I was like, screw all of you. I mean, not, they're all wonderful people who gave me the advice, but I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to do all this because, and it's my favorite book that I've written oh, just because I, I feel that. like it was so much about what I wanted to write. And just like, 
letting myself do the thing I wanted to do. And I mean, it sells fine. It's not breaking any records or anything, but like, I'm happy with it. And I feel like in that case, like following my intuition, I knew that no, that this was not the popular thing to do. And this wasn't what was supposed to happen by genre convention. Um, but I had to do what was in me to do. So, yeah, I, I love, love that. that. I love that so much because I think sometimes we have to write those books because, you know, we are actually creatives and sometimes we actually have to be creative rather yeah. than, you know, being creative within confines or market constructs or, or you know, whatever, because that's valid too. But also sometimes yeah. you just got to write what you got to write. So I absolutely love I know, that. Right. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your services, like anything else that you would like to add. So usually I tell people to go to the Better Faster Academy, um, which is um, betterfasteracademy.com or go to our QuitCast uh, YouTube channel, Q-U-I-T-C-A-S-T, uh, QuitCast on the YouTube uh, and, and listen to us there because I think that's the easiest place. If you've never heard anything from me before, um, that's the easiest place to listen. So Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming back on and for your time today. It. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Becca Syme, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. This is usually the point where I tell you who will be on next week's show, uh, but I haven't recorded next week's episode yet, and I've got a couple of interviews, so I will... Uh, you will have to see who is coming next week. Uh, next week. All right, join me then. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.